Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Let me hear you. How you doing? So good to see you this morning. My name is Troy. My wife and Darla get the incredible privilege to pastor Victory Church. And if you are visiting with us this morning, we want to say welcome. So glad that you joined us. I want to give you just real quick what we are about here at Victory, about four things. We call them our four Gs, growing, guiding, giving, and going. And over the past few weeks, we've been trying to highlight uh, the giving value of our church, which is giving out of your purpose. And so the way we've been doing that, because here at Victory, we have a saying, and let me, let me show you what it is real quick. Because you're here on purpose because you... And we believe that. We believe God's got a purpose for your life, and we believe God not only wants to use your life in the secular world, but also in the church to impact his kingdom. And, and so we've been kind of highlighting different areas that you can do that. And one of the areas I wanted to highlight this morning, just briefly, and I wanted to do it because of a story that happened at my house. And the ministry is our V Kids Nursery, okay? And so go on, give a little shout out for V Kids Nursery real quick. Huh? So those of you that came to church today and you had your babies, uh, I think the nursery goes up to five years old, is that right? And so you, you, came, you had your five years old or less, and you came and you handed them off to a smiling face, and then you walked away and said, deuces, right? Remember that moment? And you came in here to be an adult for about 45 minutes? Hey, so that's the team I'm highlighting and thinking because here's what I'm learning. Uh, smaller churches, as they start, one of the hardest areas to produce is children's ministry. And so I've heard about a lot of churches that will just allow the kids to come into the service, and it's very hard for you to focus. Not saying you're not allowed to, but it's very hard for you to focus when you bring your kids in here. And so I'm so thankful for that ministry. But I wanted to share with you, they do way more than just hold your kids. So a couple nights ago, I was in, I was in the house with my nine-year-old and my four-year-old, and Veda, the nine-year-old, was doing a project, and she was looking for a biblical story that would illustrate this word. I don't really remember what the word was. Let's just say it was selfishness or something. And so we were thinking about a biblical story to make it connect. And Joseph, the story that we've been preaching in for the past, what, five, four weeks, uh, fit that story. And so I said, well, babe, what about the story of Joseph? And before I could even start it, my four-year-old started speaking, and she literally quoted the entire story of Joseph. My four-year-old, she's like, yeah, Joseph, he gets a coat from his father, and his brothers don't like it, and they try to put him in. And I'm like, what just happened right there, right? Like, I'm like, next Sunday, she's preaching in here, okay? That's how it's going to work. And I just shot a text message out to the group, me of our V Kids nursery leaders. I said, hey, listen, this right here is just a proof that you don't just babysit our kids, you are raising them up in the word of God, and the way you train them up is the way they will go, and so you are impacting lives. So I want to do two quick things. Number one, for those of you that serve in the nursery and you're here today, thank you. For those of you that serve in the nursery today and you're going to watch online later, thank you for what you do. Second thing is this. If you're in here and you're going, I don't know how I can impact a life. I don't know how I could change literally the world. You ready? Here's how you do it. You go teach the word of God to the kids in the nursery. Amen? Amen. So come on, if that's you, do me a favor and jump in Growth Track today. Join the team. You will not regret it. The directors, the leadership are great, and we just love everything that's happening in this church. Amen? You ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, open to the book of Genesis chapter 43, Genesis chapter 43. If you are visiting, let me just kind of give you a really quick update. We believe that God has given every one of us a dream. I just believe God's given you a dream. You may not know it yet. You may have realized it years ago and kind of hidden it away, but God has given you a dream. And what we have done over the past four or five weeks is we've looked at the life of Joseph, who's in the book of Genesis, the son of Jacob, and we've watched how he's lived his life from the moment he saw his dream to now the moment where he's seizing his dream. 
And what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to learn principles. We gave you journals. If you don't have a journal, we have them extra. You can grab those on the way out or whatever it might be. And we're asking you to journal the process from seeing the dream to seizing the dream because I believe it's the same process for every dream. And so we've been kind of walking through. Last week we talked about how do we develop our dream. And the way we develop our dream is by this, by working and waiting in that time period. So working on other people's dreams and waiting for the presence of God and the promise of God. And that's how you develop that dream during that time period. Today I want to talk to you briefly about the cost of a dream. The cost of a dream. When we left off with Joseph, Joseph was in prison and he was interpreting dreams of his cellmates. And what ends up happening is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has two dreams that scare him so bad that he's looking for interpretations and nobody can interpret it. So then one of his employees says, hey, I remember a guy in prison named Joseph who knows how to interpret dreams. And every dream he's ever interpreted came true. You should go get him. So they go and call for Joseph. They bring him out of prison. They change his clothes. They shave him up. Pharaoh says, hey, here was my dream. To which he gives his dream and Joseph says, hey, here's what your dream means. Is that Egypt is going to have seven years of great increase. And then it's going to go into seven years of a famine and great decrease. And he goes, and God is warning you now. And here's a process you can put in place so that once the famine is, is here, you can not only survive yourself, but you can provide for the entire country to live. And so Pharaoh goes, wow, that's incredible, and your plan sounds incredible, and you're obviously got the hand of God on your life, so I'm going to take you out of prison, and I'm going to make you the prime minister of Egypt and my right hand. So he goes from the prison straight to the throne like that. And as the famine gets there, people are now traveling to Pharaoh's land, to Pharaoh's area, and, and coming in and meeting with him and his staff, trying to get food so they can live. And Joseph is the one everybody meets with. And so in this moment, we're about to pick up Genesis 43, verse 26, is where his family have now come up to Joseph to ask about their food. But watch this. They don't know it's Joseph. So Joseph knows it's them, but they don't know it's Joseph. All right, we're going to pick up. Here's what it says. It says, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house. And so Joseph was gone. He comes back to his area, and everybody had brought gifts to kind of exchange for food and different things. So he says uh, they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. So the brothers are bowing down to him. And he asked them how they were, and then he said, how is your aged father that you told me about? Is he still living? Because it's been 21 years, and Joseph doesn't even know if his father's alive. And they reply, yes, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And then they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him, so face on the ground. As he looked about, he saw his little brother, Benjamin, who he also hadn't seen in 21 years, his own mother's son, the only son that was of his mother and not a different mother. And he asked, hey, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. And then watch this. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room, and he wept there. As I was reading that this week, I couldn't help but shake this thought. Joseph is in the middle of seeing his dream come true. Remember it said, this dream said, and we'll talk about it in a minute, that, that he saw himself and he saw his family lying down, bowing to him around him. So he's literally seeing his dream materialize right in front of his eyes. And watch this. He's not rejoicing. There isn't this moment of, like, celebration. Instead of rejoicing, he's what? He's weeping. So his dream is coming true, but Joseph is 
crying. Why? Because every dream is assigned a cost. And you don't get the dream unless you're willing to pay the price. Do you remember when you were young and you would go out with your parents, right? you go shopping, whether you're getting toys or clothes. I remember this very specifically. And every item I would pick up, I would be like, hey, Dad, look at this toy. Or, hey, Mom, look at this shirt. And their only response was this, how much does it cost, right? And I used to, I mean, it was like, hey, check out this toy. How much does it cost? Hey, check this out. How much does it cost? And I got to a point where I thought, my parents are just old and cheap. You know what I mean? Like you just get in that mindset. Like they don't want me to have anything. All they care about is how much stuff costs because they don't have any money. We must be poor. We must be broke, which we were. That's a whole other story. But, but you just kind of learn like they're just cheap. And now I've learned something, especially recently, is this. I am my parents, okay? So, so Darla is currently trying to plan a Disney trip for our kids in, in December for Casey Ray's birthday and presents and all that kind of stuff, and she is a fanatic about it right now, okay? And her and the girls are watching videos. You can go online and watch somebody ride a Disney ride with a camera. I'm like, why are we paying to go to Disney? You know what I mean? Just load up all the YouTube videos. We'll sit on the couch with some popcorn, and there you go, right? It's just whatever the popcorn costs. Boom, trip, five bucks. There we go. And so they're watching, and Darla will be like, babe, I found this restaurant, and they got waffles, and they're cut in the shape of Mickey Mouse's head. And here's my response. How much does it cost? Right? Because Eggo waffles are like 10 for three bucks. But when you put Mickey's face on it, they're $768 a waffle. You know what I mean? It just kind of shoots. And I'm just learning. I'm like, I'm the old cheap guy, right? You know, Vader runs in and she's like, Dad, Mom said we can get fast passes to this ride. And I'm like, wait a minute, fast passes? That sounds like it's going to take money fast out of my wallet. You know what I mean? Like how much? And I'm just constantly, how much does it cost? How much does it cost? And I'm learning that I'm not old and cheap. Well, I am old and cheap. But I'm learning this. That the concept of counting the cost is wisdom. Because what I'm saying is this. Let's not get all excited about it if we're not going to be able to afford it, right? In the same way, let's not get so passionate about pursuing a dream if we're not going to be willing to pay the cost for it. And if we understand that there's a cost for the dream, then before we ever start dreaming, we can ask ourselves or at least determine, I'm willing to pay the cost for that dream. So I want to give you two thoughts this morning, just two quick thoughts when it comes to the cost for your dream. Here's the first thought, that a dream is a cool concept with a high cost. It's a cool concept. You know, you talk to people like, man, I had a dream. What was your dream? Man, I saw me doing this, and I was doing this, and that happened. It's so, it's so cool. Dreams are just, they're just cool to have. And if you were to look up in, uh, in Genesis and see Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh's dream was a large cow And then a skinny cow came out of the water and ate the large cow. How cool is that, right? Like, you didn't know? Okay, maybe there's something wrong with me. All you vegans are like, that sounds horrible. Okay, like, I mean, it just just sounds, that's just cool to me. And in Genesis 37, when Joseph first kind of presented his dream, it sounded cool. He was like, man, I had this dream, and like my sheath, it kind of rose up, right, dude? And then all your sheaths, they, I don't know why it sounds like Keanu Reeves, but it just is, you know, it's, it's like, all, all, all my sheaths bow down to your sheaths. And it was just, it was like this really cool concept. But by Genesis 43, you, we can see how much it's already cost him, right? So in 37, it's a cool concept. By 43, he's weeping. Because of all that it cost him. 
And here's what I'm learning is important for us. We need to learn to check the price before we cast the dream. I thought it'd be fun to look up some dreamers, just some famous dreamers, and, and what it cost them for their dream. And so I started with Walt Disney. It makes sense. And I learned that Walt Disney, before he moved to Hollywood, not, not, not before he moved to Hollywood for a great career, before he just moved to Hollywood, period, in hopes for a great career, he had this camera that he really loved. And he had to sell the camera to be able to get the money to go to Hollywood, right? So, so not sell the camera for his dream, sell the camera to even get in the area of the possibility of his dream. I was researching the founder of Amazon, and they said that he had this fantastic job when he was having the dream of Amazon. And he would tell people about Amazon, and they were like, oh, that's never going to work. People will never buy stuff online, Right? Okay, and, and so you'll never build a church in Smyrna, right? Okay, and so, so, so and we, won't get, we won't get distracted here. And so he, he, he's got this great job, and people start telling him, like, you can't give up this great job to go do something that might not happen. It was a cost, right? He gave that up, and we know what happened for him. I was looking at this story from Will Smith. If y'all know him, he's okay actor. And so uh, he's, doing, he's doing all right for himself, right? Uh, he's my favorite actor, by the way. And so I was listening to a story where he had, he had let out some CDs and he had gotten pretty popular and made some money with parents just don't understand and a few things like that. And he forgot to pay taxes and now he's in debt. And so he ends up talking, meeting a guy named Quincy Jones. And Quincy Jones says, hey, uh, I'm going to invite you to a party. I'm writing the script for this television show that I really want you to star in. And a lot of the people that I'm going to need to present the TV show to are going to be at this party at my house. And so he invites Will Smith to the party, and he pulls Will Smith in the back room and says, hey, look, here's a script, here's a scene from the show. I'm going to gather everybody in the room kind of like this, and I want you to go out and just present this, just, just act out this scene. And Will Smith said, I'm not doing that. He said, ain't no way. He said, you, you, you schedule something, and I'll, I'll prepare, and I'll get ready. And Quincy Jones said, listen, these people have so much going on, they don't have that kind of time. It's now or it's never. Will Smith said, fine, come on. He went out, he acted that scene, and that night he signed the contract on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Right there, all right? Because when your dream, hear me, it's easy to picture the dream, but it's different to pay for it. Okay? You can picture it all you want, but at some point you have to agree to be the one that pays for it. We had an internship in Memphis for young people that wanted to be in full-time ministry, and all the different pastors had different responsibilities in the internship, and my responsibility was the communication branch. So I, I, I helped them learn how to preach. I helped them learn how to communicate, that kind of thing. And it was funny because I would take them through, you know, there was theological studies, but then there were classes where all we did was do whose line is it anyway skits, you know what I mean? Because you got to learn how to be able to ad-lib if you're preaching. And, and, and so we're just going through all this stuff, and I always tried to make it a point that I would sit down with the students one-on-one -on -one at some point and just kind of say, hey, why do you want to preach? Like, like, what about it makes you want to do it? And, and they were never arrogant or prideful or anything, but a lot of times they would kind of bring up the fact that, in, in a lack of better words, it looked cool. Like, there was a process where you're on stage and people are listening and, you know, you might be able to travel and preach to thousands and all these kind of things. And I, I just always tried to tell them, listen, it might look cool, but if you choose to preach, as fun as it is and all of that, you need to be prepared because if you learn to preach, if you choose to preach, you are going to have to deal with PMS. <laughs> what I meant by that was post-message syndrome, okay? Because what happens is when you preach, 
And no matter how good everybody thinks it is, you'll walk off the stage and you immediately meet somebody in the back, which is yourself, and yourself starts to kind of go through what you're like, oh, man, I didn't say that the way I wanted to. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I can't believe I said that. And listen, it's not even so much that I don't feel like that the material is good or that your response is dictating it. There's something in me when I'm preaching that's preaching this to me. And before I ever preach it to you, I've preached it to me. And this thing inside of me is preaching it to me. So it's a struggle when you're not sure if you communicated it the way you felt you needed to communicate it. And when you know it's a word from God, there's so much pressure on you to deliver it as if God was delivering it. And you do it to the best of your ability. And you just go and then you walk off stage and you're immediately facing the post-message syndrome. And so I told him, listen. The concept of preaching may sound good, but the cost of it is a different thing. The concept of a dream may sound good, but the cost of it is a totally different thing. This happens a lot in our life, right? The concept of having a pet sounds good, right? Until you're on Labor Day uh, break and you walk in and there's like 10 throw up piles on your hardwood floor in your living room and you realize that your dog just cost you your Labor Day weekend. You see what I mean? The concept is cool, but not the cost. The concept of going home today and watching Netflix all day is cool. It sounds good. But the idea of you sitting on the couch going through the shows for an hour and a half trying to find one show that you actually want to stop and watch, the cost isn't worth it, right? The concept of a diet Sounds good, but when your friends bring you four Biscoff lava cookies from Crumble for your birthday, you know, the, the process, the, co- you know, the, the concept of marriage sounds good, but there's a cost. The concept of kids sounds good, but there's a cost. The concept of having a baby sounds good, but getting up at 3 in the morning to make them a hot bottle, the cost is high. You understand what I'm saying? The concept is good, but the cost is high. John Maxwell said it like this. He said, the dream is free. But the journey is going to cost you something. So you think about uh, Joseph. I don't know if we have this. Do we have the painting of his dream? I saw this painting online. It was like a, it's like a, a graphic painting. Here we go. Yep. So look at this. Look at this uh, uh, painting here. So this, this, this is his dream. This is what it was. It's my sheave of grain and sheaves of grain bowing down. And I thought it just, it just looks cool, right? Like if you were walking in the mall and you saw this in Thomas Kincaid's display, you'd be like, man, that's a cool painting. But I wonder what would have happened if Joseph would have seen the price tag, Right? If Joseph would have gone over and seen prison, if he'd have seen self-accusation, if he would have known that he would have had to be sold into slavery, if he'd known he would have not been able to be with his family, if he'd have known all, if he'd have seen this price, all the pain, all the struggle, now all of a sudden, does this look so cool? Like it's a cool concept until we look at the price tag, right? There's a difference. And at some point, hear me, church, at some point, you and I have to move on from being the believer of the dream. And we got to move into being the buyer of the dream. And the greater the dream, the greater the payments. And hear me right now. You can't put dreams on credit. We live in a time right now, I ain't got the money. I just put it on credit because I don't want to pay for it now. Dreams come right out of your hand, right out of cash. You can't put a dream on credit. When Jesus was walking the earth and doing his ministry, it became a cool concept to follow Jesus. It was the cool thing. Jesus was kind of a rebel. 
right? Like, like any, any, all the rules, he was kind of breaking them a little bit. And there's stories behind that, so don't get confused. But, but Jesus was just, you know, I've always said God is a G with a capital G, right? And that's, that's Jesus. Jesus was how he rolled. And, and so, so he was kind of different, and people, he kind of developed this following, and people thought it was cool to follow him. And so watch this. Jesus would oftenly stop and say things that would all of a sudden make the atmosphere a little bit uncomfortable so that people who thought it was cool to follow him might second-guess the cost of it and decide to move on somewhere else. Like Jesus would just stop and be like, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That will make some people bounce, right? Next Sunday, I'm going to get up and be like, welcome to Victory Church. Before we leave, you're going to eat my flesh and you're going to drink my blood. Your friends would be like, is this twilight? Like, what has happened right now, right? right? And he just would say these things, and then people would be like, I'm out. Like, I, you know, I, it was cool until he said I was going to have to eat them. You know, this is not walking dead, so I'm, I'm gone. And he, one time he stopped and he said, uh, he said, look, I, Jesus, I don't have a place to lay my head. I don't have a home. I don't have a pillow, right? I, I don't have a mattress. I, I don't have any of those things. And he would just throw things out to let the disciples know or, or whoever his followers were that it's a cool concept, but it's a high cost. And in Luke chapter 14, there's an example of this where Jesus really lays it on pretty, pretty heavy. Luke 14, 26, 28 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and their mother and their wife and their children and their brothers and their sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It's like, whoa, I got to hate Nana? <laughs> like, what, what's happening right now? And there's an understanding, I think you'll see at the end of the message what he means by this. It's more of the ability that you're willing to give it up. You're willing to sacrifice your mother, and I don't, mean, I don't mean the kind of sacrifice you people are watching. I'm talking about being able to, to walk away from, to be able to move, to be able to do things, give up things, to be able to follow Jesus. Uh, and then he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And they're like, okay. And then watch what he says here. For suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Suppose one of you wants to build anything. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? to see if you have enough money to complete it? Jesus said, look, before you ever agree to do anything, whether it's have a relationship with Jesus Christ or whether it's to pursue the dream that God's put in your heart, before you actually choose to do any of that, wouldn't you sit down and count the cost? Wouldn't you make sure that the price tag that's on that dream is something that you're willing to pay for to begin with? Because there's nothing worse than to have all of the clothes on your arm and to get to the cash register and put them up and then the, the, the amount comes to the top and you go, oh, no, thank you. You can put all those back. There's a difference in the concept being cool and being willing to pay the cost. This past weekend was my birthday. A uh, little, little slide in there for you. Uh, turned 35 years old. Uh, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed and ashamed and possibly concerned about myself because I got more food for my birthday than anything else. Um, my wife got me donuts and trail mix and more donuts. Uh, uh, I had some friends get me five bags of trail mix and a crumble gift card. Can I get an amen, hallelujah? Uh, I had another friend come by with four Biscoff lava cookies. I'm like, God, you're trying to tell me something. Like, maybe I need to, you know, get two memberships to a gym or something. And, and so one, one of the things for my birthday is my wife wanted us to kind of get out. My in-laws were in town watching the kids. And so she had scheduled to get us a hotel in downtown Nashville. We would just hang out in downtown Nashville. And then we would do a food tour, which, again, what is wrong with me, right? 
Like, can I just walk around and eat food at different restaurants? Like, this is, I felt like a king. And so, uh, so we get ready, and we have a friend that works at a hotel. And so she had reached out to him, and he said, yeah, I'll hook you up. And so we get there, and we find out, first of all, that he paid for the hotel. Like, we didn't even have to pay for the hotel, right? Get you guys friends like I got, you know what I mean? And so, and we're in there, and he, he was on break, and one of the employees was talking to me. And she goes, she's looking at the commission, she's like, ooh, he hooked you up. And I was like, I don't know what that means, right? Like, I'm from Memphis. That means something totally different. And so, uh, and she goes, well, well, you got the presidential suite. And I'm like, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> like, I've never been there before in my life. I don't know what that means. And, and so, so, long story short, we end up going upstairs, and we go into the bedroom, and there's, like, this walk-in shower with three heads that, you know, they got the up and a down. Like, you got more water than a person can even, you know, turn on, right? And so then we go to this other door, and there's this massive TV and couch and a pool table and, like, your own kitchen and then this table. And I'm like... This is amazing, right? Like, this is incredible. And so I, I was living the high life. I mean, you open up the windows, and you're on the highest floor, so you're looking over downtown Nashville. And I've never been in a place like this before. Like, to me, high-end uh, places to stay were either your mom's couch or the Motel 6, you know what I mean? And so this was a whole new level for me. And we get to talk, and I'm talking to my friend, and he goes, yeah, uh, uh, do you know how much a room like this normally goes for? And I'm like, uh, 50 bucks, you know what I mean? I don't know, that's, that's high for me. And uh, he said, no, put it this way. He said, the last time somebody uh, got it, I saw they paid $4,500. A brain hurt for a second, you know what I mean? It's like, are we carrying the zero? How does that, I don't know how that works. And so here was my understanding. I'm in this room, and the concept was so cool, Right? It was like, man, I could do this all the time. We could just, every time, I was like, darling, from now on, when we go to a hotel, this is how we're living. You know what I mean? We walk into the hotel, I'm like, give me the presidential suite, put it on my credit card. And then when he told me it was $4,500, I said, hey, babe, we're never coming here again. Okay? Don't even, you don't even get to say the word presidential suite. Okay? Because they'll charge you for that. Like, it's just understanding that the concept, this would have been great until I what? Count the cost. And when we start counting the cost, it's my moment to be like, never mind. And when it comes to the dream that God has given us, there's going to be a moment where you got to count the cost. And Jesus says, why would you do it if you didn't count the cost? At some point, you need to count the cost. Because listen to me, and this is one of my favorite things the Lord told me this week. A dream will always start with a proclamation. Speaking the dream. That's how this whole thing started with Joseph. He said, hey, I had a dream. It starts with a proclamation, but it'll always end with a demonstration. That's your sacrifice. It always starts with saying, I had a dream, but it'll never come full force because you keep saying it. It doesn't come full force till you do something about it, until there's a sacrifice, until there's a moment where you give up something of yourself, and it's that moment that now the dream starts to actually find its feet and start to move. Now, here's the second thing I want to tell you this morning. It has a high cost not to discourage you. I don't want you to be in here being like, oh, man, the way he's talking, I don't know that I really want this dream anymore. Like, I was going to go into the mission field and start feeding, you know, but I don't know, I don't, I don't know that I want this anymore. I don't say about a high cost to discourage you. The high cost purpose is to ensure your commitment. Let me tell you something. The dream you have right now is personal to you, and so the sacrifice will be too. Whatever God's going to ask you to give it isn't a big deal for me because it's personal to you. What God asked me to give up for my dream and what God will continue to ask me might not be a big deal to you because it's personal to me. 
But if you learn anything today, if you come out of here with anything today, here is the underlining statement for you today. Here's what I know about our Heavenly Father, is that anything he asks from you, he will only ask you from it or ask you for it because he's planning on giving you back something bigger and better. Whenever he asks you for something, it's to eventually give you something back even bigger and better. In Genesis 43, Joseph was weeping. And in Genesis 45, Joseph is weeping again. And so let's look at this. It says, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. So now he's weeping, and Benjamin's weeping, and they're hugging. And he kissed all of his brothers, and he wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. I was thinking this week, what do you think they talked about? Do you think there was a moment where they were like, man, hey, this is your dream, bro. This is awesome. And he's like, yeah, but you have no idea what it costs me, right? And there's this moment in 43 where he's weeping, and then there's a moment in 45 where he's weeping, but they're two totally different scenarios, and he's weeping for two different reasons, and let me show you what they are. 43, he's weeping because of what he has lost. He's weeping because of what his dream has cost him. Let me explain. Joseph has not seen his family at this moment. When his family entered, according to theologians, he has not seen his family for 21 years. 21 years. When he left his family, his dad was 21 years old, 21 years younger, and Benjamin, his little brother, was just a little kid. So watch this. His brothers come in. He hadn't seen them in 21 years. Have any of you ever had a reunion with a family member you haven't seen in 20 plus years? Like just his brothers walking up was an emotional moment for him. And he sees them, and he's kind of remembering what they did to him. And then here, watch this. I don't know if you can catch this just by reading over it, but here's what I felt the Lord tell me. He goes, then he says, hey, how's your father? The fa your, your father you told me about, is he alive? Here's what he's really asking. Is daddy alive? I, I haven't seen my dad in 21 years. And so I'm just asking is there any chance that I get to see him one more time? Is he, is he alive? And I can't imagine, the, the Bible can't do this, but I just can't imagine that moment of pause right there where he's waiting in anticipation to see if they're going to say yes or no. It had to be just nerve-wracking for him. Is, is, dad, is dad alive? Yeah, he's alive. Oh, yes, yes, I get to see him again. And then watch this. Then he sees this young adult over here to the side, and he goes, is that is that Benjamin? Is that, is that little Benji? Little Benji used to chase me around the house and wouldn't bother me. I always wondered, is that, is that Benji right there? Is that your brother Benjamin you were telling me about? And they go, yeah. And all of this emotion, because last time we saw him, what was he, two, three, four years old? Now he's 25 years old, and he's missed all of that, church. 21 years of his life, his dream has cost him. And he's emotionally wrecked by it because of what it's cost him. And he says, excuse me, i got to go somewhere for a minute so I can cry. And then he gets his stuff together and he comes back out and says, all right, let's do this. And he had to weep, but he was weeping over what his dream cost him. In 25, he's not weeping over what his dream cost him. In 25, he's weeping over what the reward of his dream was. Now watch this. He was realizing that if it wasn't for his dream, his family would be dead. And that he would be dead. And so as he's hugging them and kissing them, he's just like, oh, this is so awesome. I can't believe it's so great. Oh, my goodness, you're alive. You're alive. God's so faithful. And so watch this. Watch this. Please get this. In 23, he's weeping over the price of his dream. In 25, he's weeping over the perks of it. 
Y'all got to catch this. Because in this process of your dream, there's going to be moments where you're crying over the cost of it, what the price was. And then there'll be moments of tears of joy where you're crying over the perks of it and what God did through it. If you're not with me yet, I'll give you another example in the book of Psalms. This is an exact illustration of what I just told you. If you were here last week, we referred to your dream as a seed. Remember that? We transformed from a coat, your dream being a coat, to now your dream being a seed. Look at this. Those who go out weeping, y'all see it? Those who go out weeping, carrying what? Seed. To what? Sow. Get the, I'm going to ask you about this in a minute. We're going to do some homework in a minute. So weeping, carrying what? Seed. To what? So, okay. They will return with what? Songs of joy, carrying what? Sheaves with them. What are sheaves? That's the, that's the harvest of the seed, all right? So you got it. Seed, sow, songs, sheaves. You got it? I didn't even know I was going to do this. You good? So, how did I say? Seed, sow, songs, sheaves. Watch this. He says, those of you that are going, weeping with the seed, your dream, to sow it, to make a sacrifice, to give up of something, those same people will be returning with songs of joy because of the sheaves that the seed has produced. This is what that's saying, the same story of Joseph. There'll be a season where you have to sacrifice and it's gonna cost you something and you're gonna cry about it. But if you will recognize that it's because you're sowing that seed that one day you're gonna be singing songs of joy of all that God did because of your sacrifice. Your dream is going to call you to sacrifice. But don't just weep over it. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset about it. I'm going to share you a story in a minute where I was so confused by what God was asking me to give him. And I cried. God says, what you're going and weeping over now, you will be returning, shouting, and singing praises of joy when you return. Does that make sense? When I heard it, I was way more excited about it than you are right now. Maybe it's because you hadn't been able to physically connect what I'm talking about, so I'm going to give you my moment, and then maybe you can find yours. Darla and I gave up a lot to move here and plant the church. The 18 people that moved here with us gave up a lot. I was, as I was practicing the sermon, Tim, I was thinking about you. And uh, Tim and Jenny had just bought their house, had a pool in the backyard. It was their dream house. She wasn't pregnant then, right? You're welcome. Um, moving to Smyrna. Uh, and so they had a pool. It was their dream house. And, and did you have it for a year? For just a year, they turned around and sold that thing. And they were the first people to move to Smyrna, Tennessee to plant Victory Church. I was thinking about that cost, you know. And if, if you asked him, if you asked anybody, they could probably come up with a long list of sacrifices. And then if you asked yourself, now that the church is launched and we're almost two years old, you have made sacrifices to build this church. And so when I say this, I don't, don't let me uh, in any way sound like I'm belittling your sacrifice, but I'm, I'm just stating our sacrifices, Darla and I. There were sacrifices we made, but there was one. To this day, I know there's more coming because I've read my Bible and I know how God works. I know that the greater the dream, the greater the payments. So I know I still got money to pay. But this one time, so we were selling our house. I don't think I've told our church this story, but I shared it 
at a church that I was visiting and preaching, and some of our Victory family came to support me, and I shared it there, and I'm going to share it with you for the first time, I believe. We were going back and forth to our house, getting our house ready to sell. We were living with Darla's parents, and often when I would go to to the house to work on the house, I would take Veda, our nine-year-old, who was seven at the time, our seven-year-old with us over to the house. And she would go into the house and she'd play in her bedroom. She had like a, I don't remember what it was, iPad or something. And she would go into her old room. The house, the house was completely empty. We had laid new floors. And I was going over there to cut the grass. And so I get over there. I, we, I pulled up in our car. She went, you know, unlocked the door. She went in there. She started playing the iPad in her bedroom. She went straight to her bedroom, or it was her bedroom. And then I went and got the lawnmower and I gassed it up and I started mowing the grass. Had my headphones on, whatever. I get to the front and I'm almost done mowing the grass. And I look up, and my seven-year-old is standing in the driveway, and she's crying. And if you're a parent, you know there's two kinds of cries. There's the cry that makes you want to smack them because it's fake, and they're just trying to get something. And then there's the authentic cry, and that's the cry that you stop everything you're doing because you know something's wrong. And you drop it all, and you get down in their face and go, baby, what's wrong? Baby, what's wrong? It was that cry. And so I turned off the lawnmower and I ran up and I picked her up and I put her on the trunk of our car. I said, baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Because she was in the room by herself, so I didn't know what was happening. Baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And she's crying so hard. You know, she's, she can't really speak. She can't say anything. And finally, she musters up words and she goes, Dad, I don't want to move. I'm like, what? She hadn't said, we, we, we've been almost a year talking about this and she hasn't said anything but positive things. I said, what are you talking about? She said, Dad, I'm going to miss my room. She said, Dad, I'm going to miss Nana and Poppy, or, or, or Mama and Poppy, and I'm going to miss Nana and Peepaw. She said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to miss all my friends from school. I'm going to miss my school. And if you're a parent, you understand this. Just for a second, I thought, oh, God, what have I done? What have I done? And I remember I just kind of grabbed her tight, and I remember asking God this, not verbally, but in my head. I said, God, is my dream going to cost me my kid? And I remember him saying, mine cost me mine. I'm like, that doesn't help, right? Could have done without that. Um, you were trying to save the world. I'm just trying to plant a church. You know, I wish I could tell you, like, there was this phenomenal moment where she wiped off her tears and was like, Dad, let's go change Smyrna. She was like, Dad, I don't want to move. I said, well, baby, I understand. But we are. And I'm sorry. We sat there for a minute. We chit-chatted. And I told her, I said, hey, you're going to have friends in Smyrna. There's some really cool people waiting for you in Smyrna. Hey, you're going to have a better room. We're going to be in the presidential suite in Smyrna. You know what I'm talking about? Have a better room. And, and you're going to have, you know, my mom and poppy will move because this God at Smyrna is where God is. So we obviously they'll move. And you know what God was teaching me, church? Is that if I'm going to trust God with my dream, I've got to trust him with my sacrifice. I think a lot of us want to trust him with our dream, but we don't want to trust him with our sacrifice. God, I want this, but you can't have that. I want this, but don't take that. I'll tell you this, and I promise I'll stop. Um, a few months ago, I met a, a fellow uh, pastor in the Smyrna area. We met for lunch or coffee, or I don't remember what it was. He had planted his church like 
28 years ago or something. And we were talking and I said, uh, I said, hey, tell me about the cost that you paid for your church. And he went on. I didn't know what I was getting into. He went on for the next hour and a half talking about his cost. And in the middle of it all, he, he, he said this real quick. He said, but you know what? He said, the Bible says when you give up your mom or you give up your job or you give up your house for, for, for the kingdom of God, you get it back a hundredfold. And I was like, huh? And he, I, I didn't say it out loud. I was just listened to him. And he went on all the way. And then he had to leave abruptly. So he kind of got up and went. And I was sitting there. I got done, went and got in my car. And I was like, did he say the Bible says? Because I hear people say this all the time. Right? We always, especially money. If you give to God, God will give back a hundredfold, pressed down, shaking, and pouring over. You know what I mean? It's always, like, I get it. I hear it all the time. But I hear the man-made versions of it where it's like, you give this and God gives it back. And I'm like, God doesn't always say that. God doesn't always say whatever you give him, he's going to give back. And so I'm in my car and I'm kind of torn. And I'll be honest with you, I was too prideful to text him and say, hey, is that in the Bible? And if so, can you give me the Bible verse? Because I'd love to stand on it, but if it ain't the Word of God, I ain't standing on it, you know? And so weeks go by, I forget about it. And at this time, I was in my personal study. I was reading the book of Mark. And I got to Mark chapter 10. And I started reading through, I tried to read a chapter a day. And I got to verse 29. Watch this. Truly, I tell you, it's like Jesus was talking right to me. Truly, oh boy, was right. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, which means career, for me and the gospel will fail to receive what? A hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields. Do you remember the verse we talked about earlier in Luke? What did Jesus say you'll have to get, what did he say you'd have to give up for him? Your mothers, right? Your brothers. Anyone who won't be willing to leave their mothers and their brothers and their sisters, they can't be my disciple. Jesus was trying to say, listen, whatever you give, whatever you give in sake of the gospel, God gives back a hundred times. Here's what I felt him say. Whatever seeds you sacrifice, God promises to resurrect. Because he is the resurrector. We have now lived here for three years. Three years. Can I tell you what my daughter doesn't miss? She don't miss Memphis, babe. Were y'all able to get some of those pictures for me? She looks sad to y'all. She looks sad. This is her leading worship in V-Kids right here. Because whatever God asks you to sacrifice, he gives back a hundredfold. Her best friends live here. She doesn't meet Kalia and Kylie and all these kids if she doesn't move to Smyrna, Tennessee. She doesn't get to do this if she doesn't leave Memphis, Tennessee. 
and she doesn't continue to be. She got all A's on her progress report. Listen, this is not a time for me to praise my daughter to you, although, I mean, come on, she's awesome, right? But it's just my moment between me and you to tell you your dream is going to cost you something. But hear me, I promise you, we serve a God that if you will sow that sacrifice, God will resurrect that thing and you'll be coming back with songs of joy of all that God did through your sacrifice. So would you do me a favor, just close your eyes for a second. I'm going to end this just a little bit different today. And would you just let the Spirit of God talk to you for a moment? Maybe you're new to faith and you don't know what that means. Just close your eyes and listen for a moment. You'll, you'll, you'll feel something. I want to talk to two people. The first group of people are those of you that God is asking you to sacrifice something for the dream that God has put in your heart. And I'm telling you right now, he gave me this message to tell you, it's time, do it. Make the decision, move forward. And God will give you back a hundred times what you give for him. The second group is that group of people in here, you feel like you already gave the sacrifice. And not only is the dream not there yet, but you haven't seen the return for what you gave. Just understand that the time is coming and it's not truly Troy told you. It's not truly Victory Church tells you. It's truly Christ tells you that no one, no one who makes that sacrifice for the kingdom and for the gospel goes without getting it a hundred times back. That's his word. If you don't do anything, stand on Mark 10, 29. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We pray and ask you for your hand, for your favor on our lives. I know that you've given us all dreams and we're learning week by week how to process these dreams. But Lord, today is one of those days where we kind of look into ourselves and say, but what are we willing to sacrifice for the dream that you put in our heart? God, in this season, what are you going to ask us to sacrifice? Start to prepare our hearts right now that we would not look to be comfortable, but we would look for opportunity to step out of comfort and into faith and to be able to see you do something great in our lives, but it never happens without first being willing to sacrifice where we are and what we already have. But God, as we sacrifice, I pray we would stand on the confidence of your word that whatever it is you ask us to give, you will give it back to us bigger and better than before. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...